one. And uh, as we begin, it's it's always um, interesting to reflect how much um, Christians face pressures to capitulate to society and various other things on all sides, um, to give in to whatever people think is right or declare is normal. Um, even this example about assisted suicide comes to show that. And many times as Christians, we, we can be wondering, you know, h- h- how do we stay firm? How, what, how are we to uh, approach life in this world that we live in? Um, if you dare disagree with voices on the right or the left, you'll be hounded, you'll be rejected, you'll be cancelled. Um, and so as James was telling us last week, the question we face for ourselves is, how do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How do we trust God and stay true? Um, well, Daniel lands us in that very world, and this book instructs us how to live. So if you open up your Bibles again to Daniel, if you turned away, um, I'm going to break the passage of Daniel chapter 1 into three chunks. Um, this is 1 to 2, 3 to 16, and 17 to the end. So let's take the first chunk, uh, uh, verses 1 to 2. Now, verses 1 to 2, it's great. We see a historical perspective on on the matter, and then a theological perspective. So if you look at verse 1, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. You don't need God to tell you that that happened. You know, history could have told you that. But then verse 2 takes that historical perspective and tells you a much deeper truth, a deeper reality. Because look at verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So whilst you might, as I mean, James has t- touched on this last week, as you might have been tempted to um, say that the cause of the fall of Jerusalem was, was social, political, economical, I don't know, who knows what. The Bible tells you the deeper cause still, that the Lord gave, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And so what we see straight away is God's faithfulness. But it's not quite the faithfulness that we just sang in that song. It's, it's a very severe faithfulness. God's severe faithfulness to his word. You see, earlier in, in the Bible, uh, no need to turn there, in Leviticus 26, God promises his people that if they continually rebel and turn against him, that he will send them into exile. In verse 33 of Le- Leviticus 26, it says, I will scatter you among the nations, and I will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste, and your cities will lie in ruins. And God has been severely faithful to his word. A little later on in the Bible, um, a few kings before Jehoiakim, there's a king called Hezekiah. Now, in Hezekiah's day, the big global superpower wasn't Babylon, but Assyria. And, and Hezekiah was kind of scared of Assyria, and he thought, I know, there's this other little empire called Babylon. I'll make a, a little treaty with them, and maybe together we can like, hold off the Assyrians a bit. But then the, God sends the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah, and in Isaiah 39, this is what the Lord says to Hezekiah. He says, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace, all that your predecessors have stored up until this day, will be carried off. To Babylon, nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs 
in the palace of the king of Babylon. And we see all this fulfilled in Daniel 1, when the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. God is severely faithful to his word. But more than that, as we, as we discussed in, in, the, in the little kid slaughter earlier, not only has God been faithful to his word and led to his city, Jerusalem, being destroyed, but more, he has made himself look rubbish, look terrible, look even defiled, if I could use that language from later on in our passage. God looks defiled because his temple's been destroyed and his people are now exiles. God looks defiled, shamed, and beaten, and he did it, and we want to know why. Well, I think the rest of our chapter helps explain why. And we can see it um, when we see that three times in this chapter, the Lord gives something. So it's there in verse 2. It's slightly hidden in the NIV. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim. Um, Other translations say the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So God is given, and we're surprised that God would give in this particular way. Well, God is not finished giving. God has still got more giving to do. The next giving happens in verse 9, when God uh, gives favor and compassion uh, to Daniel in the eyes of the officials. And then later on in verse 17, you can see there to the young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. So we're going to come then, hopefully by the end, when God has finished his giving, if you like, we'll see that what initially started off as a very bizarre and and, an odd-looking way for God to give and God to act ultimately turns out for his glory. Hopefully, we will see God is glorified in his servant's faithfulness. God is glorified in his servant's faithfulness. So let's see what God does. We turn then. Um, to verses uh, 3 to 7, and then from 8 eight to uh, 16, that make our second section. The first thing we've got to notice about Babylon is that it is a lordless land. Not a, not a lawless land, a lordless land. Look, at, look in verse 2, and you'll see that the Lord, when it says the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, you'll notice in your Bibles that that's not in capital letters. So the word under that is not Yahweh, the name of God that we often see in Scripture. That's just the, the regular word for Lord. And so we see that the Lord is, is, is kind of missing. And actually the Lord, the name Yahweh, where Lord in capital letters in our Bibles, that's missing in the whole book of Daniel. The only place it turns up is Daniel 9. Everywhere else, throughout the whole of Daniel, the name, God's name, like God's actual name, Yahweh, is missing. We're in a lordless land. It's, we're, we're disorientated. Because no longer are people calling God by his name. Furthermore, in verse uh, 8, sorry, verse 10, um, the official says, I'm afraid of my Lord the King. Not only is this a lordless land, but actually we have a, we have a rival Lord, Kim, Kim, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He fancies himself as a Lord. And so we, we have the question, uh, Daniel's in this foreign, uh, disorientating land. And the name of Yahweh is forgotten, and he has to think, which Lord am I going to follow? Lord Nebuchadnezzar or the true Lord? Furthermore, you'll notice that their names are changed. Look in verse 7. So you have Daniel and his three friends. Now Daniel means my judge is God. Hananiah 
means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is what who is what God is. Who is what God is. And Azariah means Yahweh is a help or a helper. So we have these very rich names reminding Daniel and his three, three friends who they are and who their God is. They can just say, you know, in the same way that we might say, hello, Bob, they can say, hello, Azariah, and go, ah, Yahweh is my helper. Okay. You know, hi, Daniel. Ah, yeah. God is my judge. It it's, it's sort of centers you. It orientates you. But their names are changed. Now, we're not fully sure what their names mean, but what it, we do know is that their names replace these words like God and Yahweh with Bel. So Belteshazzar, Bel is a name of a, a, a Babylonian god. Um, it's uh, Ab- Abednego, Nego is a name of a Babylonian god. So suddenly they take the, the, uh, the true god's names out of their names and they put in Babylonian deities into their names. They're disorientated. And then if you look at the end of um, verse 4, we've got the language and literature of the Babylonians that they have to follow. Now for them, it would have been various bits of po- uh, politics, astrology, mythology. It's all indoctrination. Now so that's what it would have been for them. For us, for example, it might be something like that having a body has nothing to do with who you are as a person. That's a bit of indoctrination that our culture gets. Let me explain that. So if, if who I am as a person has nothing to do with my body, that explains why transgender makes a load of sense, because my body has no bearing on who I am. It explains why abortion makes sense, because if just because there is a, per, a body in there doesn't mean it's a person. It explains why assisted suicide makes sense, because just because it's a body doesn't mean it's a person. So, so one way, for example, the, the language and literature of the Babylonians, one way in our culture, for example, would be this truth that your body has no bearing on who you are as a person. So that, that's ways in which we ourselves might be indoctrinated in our culture to think that our bodies are irrelevant to our identities. And then the one that uh, this chapter is known for then, the food. They're given these royal delicacies, this lovely food, the, the, the food that the king himself eats. What, a, what an honor, what a privilege to eat the finest food in all the land. But it also would have subtly seduced them. We're not fully sure why Daniel chose not to eat. There could be various reasons. But it, it, it seems that Daniel wanted to stay true to God in this foreign land. He wanted um, not to c- capitulate into everything that this culture is trying to indoctrinate him. So all these things, the lordless land, the change of names, the indoctrination and the food, they're trying to make Daniel and his friends forget God and to defile themselves. But, verse 8, Daniel resolves not to defile himself, and not to eat the food. And God chooses to be faithful, so Daniel chooses to be faithful to God, and God then is faithful also to him. Remember, this is the second time God gives. Look in verse 9, God, in the ESV, uh, sorry, in the NIV, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but uh, it's God, God gave favor to Daniel in the eyes of this person. Now, Daniel is wise. And, and wisdom is one thing that we see throughout the book of Daniel. Daniel is a, is a figure of wisdom. And after he gets a no from the chief, chief official, he tries a different route. And if you look, Daniel's not harsh. He's not obnoxious. He's not arrogant. It's not like he went to the person 
got, got the no and said, well, actually, even if you say no, I'm going to do this anyway. No, no, no. D- Daniel, there was, a, there was a humility to his wisdom. He, he calmly and prudently tries to figure out what next step to follow God looks like, what, 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 what obedience looks like. And we see something in the wisdom of Daniel and the humility of Daniel in Christ. 1 Peter, talks, talking about Jesus, says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Christ and Daniel were faithful to God. And this faithfulness is rewarded. It works. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than anybody. So to tweak um, Psalm 137, we could say, unless the Lord builds the diet, those who diet labor in vain. Okay, but God has blessed their faithfulness. He's blessed their change of diet. And so we come then to verse 17 in the end, the results of faithfulness, the results of faithfulness. Now, both Daniel and God have been faithful here. So we will see firstly the the results of Daniel's faithfulness and the results of God's faithfulness. So the results of of Daniel's faithfulness is blessing. God gives again, there verse 17 to these young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. And we we see that this is something that is true for us as Christians. Later on, Jesus tells his disciples the following. He says, truly I tell you in, in Mark 10, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, no one who's been faithful, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, mothers, uh, um, sisters, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. We see that there are blessings for faithfulness, and, and whether they come in this life or the next, that's up to God and his wisdom to dispense as he wills. But there are blessings for faithfulness. And the, one, maybe one of the best verses in this chapter is verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, one of the beautiful things about King Cyrus is that he is not Babylonian. He's Persian. So you're like, well, what's going on? Where, where's King Cyrus come from? Well, King Cyrus is the Persian who takes over the Babylonian Empire because the Babylon, Babylonian Empire falls. Now, it t- takes a bit of time, but the point that this verse is saying is that Daniel outlasted the world's superpower, okay? For us modern-day people, it would be maybe America, China, or Russia. It's saying that Daniel, in his faithfulness, has outlasted the global superpower. Because with God, that, that's where refuge is, that's where strength is, that's where security and safety is, and that's where longevity is. Daniel, in his faithfulness to God, outlasts an empire. And I think just that I think there's some um, a really heartwarming application for people without children, whether married or single here. You see, it's very possible that Daniel was made a eunuch. That's what the prophecy mentioned at the beginning says. Um, and then these chief officials, other translations call him the chief of the eunuchs. So it's likely that Daniel was made a eunuch. And now just notice something about Daniel. Daniel is from the royal family. Verse 3, some of the Israelites from the royal family. That means that Daniel was a descendant of David. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that the promised Messiah, the promised Christ, isn't the savior of the world. He's going to come from David's descendants. And so if, you're, if you are 
uh, believing in God, which Daniel and his friends are, and you know your scripture, which they do, you know that it's very possible that God's savior of the world is going to come from your offspring. But Daniel and his friends are very possibly made eunuchs. So all that hope is cut off. All that hope is cut off. But Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. The legacy of Daniel's faithfulness is so much further reaching than children. So much further reaching than children. Think about it this way. Who here knows the name of their great-grandparents? Does anyone know the names? Maybe one or two. I'm not getting... I'm, right? Okay, not many. Only one, only one or two. Who knows? That, like, you, you don't know the name of your great-grandparents because they're forgotten. They're forgotten. But Daniel, we're still reading about him today because in Christ, in, in, in God's economy, that's what lasts. God's kingdom isn't just physical, it's spiritual as well. And the spiritual results of Daniel's faithfulness to God are far more outlasting. And this is the legacy of Daniel not to defile himself. So that's the result of Daniel's faithfulness. Now let's turn to the results of God's faithfulness, which is that God is glorified in his servant's faithfulness. You'll remember Daniel was defiled in verse 2. Sorry, not Daniel. God looked defiled in verse 2. His kingdom was destroyed. His earthly kingdom was destroyed. The temple ransacked. But look in verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned Daniel and his friends, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. See, at the beginning, God looked beaten by the false Babylonian gods. But by the end, God's faithful ones, Daniel and his friends, have actually shamed the other gods, the false gods, and their magicians and their sorcerers. See, those magicians aren't just kind of like pulling rabbits out of a hat. They're, they're, they're trying to manipulate the world by the power of false gods. Things like Baal or, or, or Marduk or all these other lot. And so the question we ask ourselves in verse 20 is, who has the last laugh? Who has the last laugh? Because yes, the Babylonians were laughing in verse 2. But God's faithfulness to his people has elevated them above the Babylonian gods and those who serve them. God's faithfulness has elevated them, just like Jesus. You see, Jesus has the last laugh. God's people have always been at war with Babylon. Babylon in the Bible comes to represent the enemies of God and his people. But in the end of the Bible, a few chapters from the end, in Revelation 18, we hear these words, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Why? Because God's kingdom has been established. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. God ultimately gets the glory. Babylon ultimately falls and is destroyed. So only in faithfulness to God will, uh, will you be safe and God will make himself glorified. So let me encourage you, my friends and my family, to be faithful to God. Be faithful to him. Now, some of you, some of you have been Christians for a long time. 
You've seen God's faithfulness. And so let me encourage you, don't forget it. Be thankful that you can see a lot of your story in verse 21. You know what it is to remain. You've seen God's faithfulness to you. So hold fast. Keep true. And do not forget the God who has been faithful to you. But some of you, my friends, are in situations right now where you need to be faithful. And I want to encourage you to hold on. Be faithful as God is being faithful to you. And be wise. Remember the tactfulness of Daniel. Be wise and winsome. But hold on. Because there is hope in the end of the tunnel. But right now, yeah, life is hard. And you need to be faithful. But be faithful as God is being faithful to you. Some of you Christians, are, uh, we could say, are, are untested. You know, you, you haven't yet been in that position where you're in, say, the Babylonian court and you need to say, oh, I'm not going to eat this food. Well, I want to encourage you, like Daniel in verse 8, resolve now not to defile yourself. Resolve to be true to God. Resolve to make His glory your ultimate goal. Resolve now to be true and to be faithful. And for others of you, you're not, you're not, you're not, maybe you're not Christians. You haven't put your trust in Jesus and you're just kind of seeing what's going on. I, I want you to ask, what does greatness look like? Is it majestic and proud like Babylon? Does it wear the fancy shoes that cost a million quid? Or is it small, potentially foolish looking and embarrassing like Daniel eating vegetables? Or Jesus dying on a Roman execution device. And then ask this. Why would God defile himself? Why would God make himself look like a fool? It's to glorify and exalt his servant. Here Daniel, but ultimately Jesus. So that he could bring us into his kingdom. A glorious, a lovely, and a safe kingdom. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you were faithful to Daniel. Thank you that you glorified yourself through his faithfulness. Lord Jesus Christ, in the seeming foolishness of the cross, you took the punishment for our sins. And through your rising, ascending, and enthronement at the right hand of the Father, you prepared a place for us in your eternal kingdom. O Holy Spirit, help us to be faithful to you. Let us resolve not to defile ourselves. May we not rely on our own strength to stay faithful, but on your preserving work in us. And we pray these, O God, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you.